Welcome to the Whistle Way Podcast. My name is Kyle Whistle with EXP Realty in San Diego. And I am Brian Kochi, Director of Marketing here at Whistle Realty Group. The goal of the show is to give you the tools, techniques, and tactics to go out there and crush it in your business. The way that we like to do that is to answer the questions that you have for us. So if you ever have a question you want to have us answer on a future episode of the show, you can always go to thewhistleway.com. You can ask us questions on there, subscribe to the podcast and YouTube channel, join our Facebook private group, our referral network, and our email newsletter where we share a lot of tips and tricks, and get dialed in with a 50% discount on our video content creation course called the Media Mayor Master where we teach you everything we've learned about creating video over the last eight years and condense it down to do a nice tight package to help you crush it with video in your local market. All of that at thewhistleway.com. If you enjoyed the episode today, if you're watching on YouTube, hit the thumbs up button, let YouTube know you're enjoying it. If you have questions, throw them in the comment section. And if you want more of our content, you can always hit the subscribe button and the little notification bell. And if you are listening on a podcast platform, when you're done with this, hook us up with a review. Uh, reviews mean a lot to us on a podcast. They're uh, hard to come by, and uh, any review written is greatly appreciated. Yes, it is. All right. What do you got, Brian? So we've seen now at any point throughout your real estate career, there's going to be times where you get into a transaction, and either on the buyer side or the seller side, they want to cancel. Um, we've seen that a lot more prevalent as of late, um, with you know as the as things are taking longer as there's, you know, we're just seeing a lot more of it lately. And so typically we'll see agents, someone say, I want to cancel. Okay, bye. And and bounce out. Um, I want to talk today about how do like one, why do we need to kind of push back on that? Um, and two, and I'm not saying hold someone hostage. I'm not saying that. Um, how do you think Mike Proctor sells so many homes? <laughs> um, and two, uh, what are some to save a transaction, what are what some ways you should avoid and at least use as a last resort to save a transaction? Yeah, cool. This topic is one I'm passionate about. We have a policy on our team um, with our agents that they, before they can cancel a transaction, they have to have a conversation with me because I've found over and over and over again, agents just cancel transactions all willy nilly, like they're returning something to Amazon. Well, with Amazon, <laughs> you can return something and then you can go buy something again the next day. The problem with your real estate transactions, if you cancel a real estate transact transaction today, in my opinion, if it's on the buy side, there's probably a 50% chance that buyer is not going to work with you again. Now, we could argue, well, we'll say it's 50% plus or minus 25. But <laughs> That's you know, a big spread. Yeah, I'm, I'm hey, we're between 25 and 75%. Brian, okay? 50% give or take 100%. Yeah, you know. 50% plus or minus 50 Um <laughs> But there's a high percentage of the time where if you're working with a buyer and a deal part, they're not going to work with you again. As a result, it's pretty freaking important that you not let deals fall apart. And why is that that they won't work with you? Because it's your fault. It's always your fault. And you know more often than not, it's not your fault, whether it be the escrow company, the title company, the lender, the seller, the seller's agent, natural disaster, you know, something like it's always something's going to happen, but for whatever reason, the agent gets blamed more often than not. We, we, get to, we get the big successes and the big celebrations, right? Like escrow doesn't get the big celebration. None of those other people get the big celebration. We do. We get to hand these pop bottles, celebrate. Nobody else gets that. So to the victor goes the spoils, I think there's a term that might fit there. Um, but we get to have that big event when it closes um, and other people don't have that. So we just seem to get blamed for it because we're the person who gets to ultimately hand those keys over. So I think people far too often give up on transactions, assuming like, oh, 
fine, we'll cancel this. We'll find another one. Like, there may not be another one. You know, 50% of the time, this doesn't happen, plus or minus 25. So, <laughs> um, you know, that they may not want to work with you again. Even though you did everything perfect, everything in your power to do a good job, they just may not want to work with you again. Makes um, sense. It, it just happens. So you got to find ways to keep transactions together. Now, on the sell side, it's not the same, but it's becoming a little more risky. Like six months ago, if you canceled with one buyer, there was 20 other buyers waiting in the wings. Like you cancel with a buyer today, there might be nobody. And now people are going to see you as like spoiled goods because, whoa, the fellow best grow. There must be something wrong with the house. Now it's harder to attract buyers. So there's no telling that you're going to find another buyer. And especially as prices are dropping, you might not get an offer that high again. Yep. And so now mm. you end up with a seller who doesn't like you. Now you might get fired. So you could lose that that listing, one, because you find a buyer within the time that's left on your agreement with the seller. Two, you could get fired because the seller thinks that you did a bad job and they want to fire you. So for all of those reasons, you got to be careful. You don't just cancel transactions easily. Like you got to fight for it. And sometimes you have to protect your clients from themselves because they're making emotional decisions. And where you get screwed in these transactions is when you get emotional too. When Which is a good reason why I'm not an agent. <laughs> you emotional? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Brian's never emotional. It's fine. That's why we're good together, Brian. We're the exact opposite. <laughs> I have no emotions and you have all of them. Yeah, there you go. You were given all of my emotions. <laughs> um so we got to make sure we don't get emotionally involved because that's that's where things get south. I mean, in any negotiation, as soon as you start getting emotional about it, um, you, you're in trouble. And I, I learned a lesson really valuable many years ago. And I learned it from Yelp, of all people. And I got a negative review on Yelp. And what's the first thing you do? Anytime you get a negative review on Yelp, you're like, oh, this piece of crap. I'm going to, no, you're so full of it. Like, that's not what happened. Like, you, you get argue. all riled up, right? And you get pissed off. And when you go and Yelp and you go to reply to a review, like it warns you, it's like, hey, before you write this reply, once you post this, this is public and everybody's going to see this review forever and you're not going to be able to take it away. And you're like, and you like scream and yell and you like <laughs> pound on the keyboard. You might like break a key or two off the keyboard, like you get all upset and you type this and, and then you're like post. And then Yelp's like, before I post this, I just want to check with you one more time and just make sure maybe you sleep on like I, I don't remember exactly what it said but it was it like, like reads it back to you it was like pretty much like yeah what if it read it back to you in like angry voice like <laughs> and then you realize how you sound you go like, oh damn that's not good um so it warns you like at least a couple times before you post a review because it knows that you're probably reacting emotionally and trying to save you from that emotional reaction because when you react emotionally you rarely get results and so you need to do the same thing when you're in these trends when something does go south, something's not right, you have to stay unemotional about it and you're going to end up getting a lot better result at the end of the day. Oh, so you said 50% of the time they won't work with you again, plus or minus 25%. What would, let's say we can't save the deal, right? And, and we'll get how to save the deal. Let's say we can't. What are some things we can do to help them, you know, work with us 75% of the time rather than 20, right? We want yeah. to be on the correct side of that. Yeah. One of the mistakes I see agents make a lot is they don't understand how what they say comes across to the client because what they end up saying to the client sounds to the client like they're not on their side. It sounds like, let's say I'm representing the buyer 
and I come back and I'm like, hey, I talked to the seller and, and this is where the seller's at. The buyer hears like, it sounds like you're on the seller side, you're not on my side. And so it's really important to make sure that even if a deal is gonna cancel, like the, the buyer or whichever party you're representing, feels like you are fighting for them, that you were going to bat for them, that you had their back. Where it goes south most commonly is you as the agent, you're so trying to, it's like so set on trying to put this deal together because you're broke and you need money that you're not thinking clearly and you lose sight of the fact of who your client is. You're, you get too focused on trying to put the deal together, not fighting for your client. And that's a lot of times where it goes south. So it's so important to make sure at all points in the transaction, the client feels like you have their back, that you're on their side and that you're fighting for them regardless of what's actually happening. Because if they don't feel like you have your, their back, they're not going to work with you again. That's probably the number one way to lose somebody when you go through you know, a, a, a negotiation that ends up in a cancellation is that the client can feel like you had their back. I think that's great for literally anything, connecting with them. Um, what about, do you ever, or do you, do you recommend like prepping your clients that, hey, cancellations are common, it may happen, this is what we'll do. Like, I, I know there's always kind of this, hey, we're an escrow, congratulations, but don't get your hopes up, but also get your hopes up, but don't like, there's that weird balance you have to have to play there. Do you ever prep them and say, hey, look, it can happen, it can close, it can end in three ways. It can cancel, it can close, it can whatever. I don't typically do that, no. Okay. I think I do prep them that there's gonna be a renegotiation, but I don't prep them for like potential cancellation. But I wanna make sure, like I just one. We're an escrow million one twenty five, and I made it clear to the seller, hey, in my experience, when we get to this point, they're going to do an inspection and they're they're going to find some things. I don't care if you have a brand new home or you have a twenty year old home. They're going to find dozens of things that are wrong with the home, and in my experience, they're going to come back and they're going to request repairs, and it usually ends up being around a half percent of the purchase price. Now, obviously, you that are listening, you're going to adjust this to your market. If you're selling hundred thousand dollar homes, it might be different. Um, so I'd prep them, right? They're, they're going to do an inspection. They're going to come back for a negotiation and around half percent is a good number to budget. Hopefully it's less, but I would just want you to be prepared for that. Sometimes it's more. Well, it ended up being $6,300 on a uh, 1.125 million. So it was perfect. It was right there almost mm -hmm. exactly yeah. at a half percent. Like I almost nailed it. It almost is eerie <laughs> how close that was, but that was good because they were prepared for that, right? It didn't one, it didn't come as a surprise that they requested something. Because we had that conversation, as soon as the offer was accepted, I always sit down with the client and I walk them through what's to come. We built out a 10-step process. Um, if you want a copy of our 10-step process, shoot me a DM on Instagram. I'll send you the chart and everything so you can see it. Um, but I walk the client through the 10 steps, which includes the inspection and why it's done, which includes the appraisal and why it's done, which includes the renegotiation, which is a step. I want to make sure they know that is going to happen in this transaction because it does. 99% of the time, there is some sort of a renegotiation. So I think it's important to prime them for that. If you're on the sell side, prime them that they're going to come back with a request for repairs, regardless of how pretty their house is. I don't care if it's brand new. They're going to hit you for something. But also prime the buyer that, hey, you're going to have an opportunity to request something. But I make sure I tell the buyer, the house is sold as is. It's subject to your inspection and you can request whatever you want. And when you do, seller is going to do one of three things. They're either going to agree, they're going to deny, or they're going to meet you somewhere in the middle. So it's up to us when we get to that 
point and we do an inspection, you know, we're looking, uh, Matt Honeycutt from our team talks about like, if you touch it, if it's going to burn you, if it's going to cut you or it's going to electrocute you, those are the kind of things that we're looking for when we do that inspection. So understand we will have an opportunity to request, but you set the stage up front of like, what's a realistic request. Now, is that where a majority of the cancellations come from is once you get to the request for repairs? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's where, where it happens is a lot of times, one, the listing agent didn't prep the seller that that was going to come. And now it comes out of left field. And now the seller's blindsided and they're like, what the hell happened? And like, yeah, they're already counting their money. Yeah. So I, again, I, I, I've just found around a half percent seems to be pretty accurate. Five grand, you know, right around there. Most of the homes we sell is around a million. Even so. for a hundred grand, that's 500 bucks. That's pretty low. I mean, that's a new ceiling fan or three. Yeah. <laughs> I've just found, yeah, five grand is probably a safe number or a half percent. Okay. Because just based on our price point, that's about where we are. So I always want to tell the seller that they're going to ask for repairs. So when we accept this offer, I want you to accept it with this understanding. Um, and that helps so much. But if the listing didn't prepare the seller for that, and now me as the buyer, I come in and ask for five grand, the seller's like, what the hell is this? No way. Screw you. This house is, my house is perfect. Blah, 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 blah. Like, your house is beat to shit. But <laughs> and I'm only asking for five. So I think a lot of it comes where the two parties didn't prep accordingly. The The listing agent didn't prep the seller that there was a renegotiation that's part of the process. And the buyer's agent didn't prep the buyer of what a realistic request is. So this segues perfectly, right? So the listing agent was uh, not prepared, didn't tell their um, their seller, right? Seller's pissed, and then the listing agent says, "Okay, it's five grand." I hear what happens a lot is they say, "I'll cut my commission," or they hit up the buyer's agent and say, "Hey, let's split it." Is that the best way to go about it? Is cut commissions? No. Okay. Okay. Thank you for watching this week's episode of the. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the the first reaction that a lot of people have. I could run to my office right now and grab, but it would take too long. I literally carry around um somebody i don't remember did you get it for me somebody got me a stack of ten thousand dollars of funny money oh no i think that was eric so yeah i've got this stack of 10 g's it's literally looks just like real money um but what i found is people negotiate like when they're on the phone or in text like oh yeah we'll give them five grand no big deal like if you were holding the five thousand dollars cash would you literally just hand it over like it was nothing like hell no you gotta pry the five grand out of my hand but far too often, especially we get if it's into, in twenties, that's a yeah. big fucking stack. <laughs> yeah, but far too often we get into negotiations and we just like freely. Oh yeah, I'll throw in five grand to get the deal done. Like no, no, you're not just throw five grand in. Um, and what I found is the the newer the agents, the more likely they are to do this because they're desperate for money. So then now they're they're um, negotiating from a position of scarcity because they're so scared this is going to fall apart. They're not going to get paid and they're not going to be able to pay their bills. So they would rather give up the five grand than make nothing, which is not the way. Like if you're negotiating from that scarcity mindset, you're screwed. Like you're going to get crushed over and over and over again. Um, so that's where I see it happen a lot is with newer agents is it just their first reaction is I'll just I'll just kick it in so we get the deal done. You don't have to do that. And then what happens, though, is you start to do that and it starts to become habit and then you do it every freaking deal. But you're doing it because one, you need the money, or two, the other thing that happens is you're scared to negotiate. I don't know what it's called in every state in the country, but in this state of California, it is called a salesperson license. Oh, I thought you were gonna say scared to be nigga. I thought you were gonna no. go. I don't know what it's called in other people, other parts of the country, but in this part of the country, if you're scared, 
negotiate. It's called being a bitch. That's where I thought you were going to go with that. Wow. <laughs> Brian's on tilt today. Um, that's just a journalism. Yeah, we're, we're called salespeople. Like, that's what our job title is. Like, you got to be able to sell a little bit. And so you should not be intimidated by a negotiation. Uh, that's just a part of the business. But people get scared of the negotiation and they, they'd rather give away money than get into a negotiation. And, and that's a that's a really expensive thing to do. Um, so I think people need to role play having these conversations, one with their client, two with the other agent. Like you got to be prepared for these things. Yeah. And especially I'm, I'm trying to think about for our agents, they're on our team. Them giving away five grand is not all. It's typically not their five grand. Um, and sometimes they'll think, OK, well, the net commission is, let's say, 15. And, and, and they may think, OK, well, if I give away five, then we split 10. Um, there are certain situations and we have rules in place to where if they give away five, we still get our cut and that, that five doesn't come off the top. It comes off their cut. Yeah. Our rule on that to prevent agents from just giving money away is if you give money away without having a conversation with me first, you gave your money away. That's coming out post split. So we're going to have a split of whatever it is, 50, 50 or whatever. And then that five grand is coming off your side and your side only. You can't give my money away without having a conversation with me. So let's just let's throw real numbers at that. If it was fifteen grand net, they didn't have a conversation with you, and they go, "Okay, well, we'll just do. I'll take the five grand off, and then we'll split it fifty-fifty, which is, is sometimes how they think. Then they say, "Okay, we're going to split ten grand. That I get five grand." But what you're saying is, no, we're going to. We still get our fifty percent, which is seventy-five hundred, yep. and you gave away five grand, so now you get twenty-five hundred bucks. Yep. That's a, that's a, once you realize, oh shit, I, now I went from, I can't pay my bills to like, okay, well now I can pay a bill or a part of a bill that gets pretty scary. Yeah. And so we put that policy in place, not because I don't want to participate. I'm happy to participate if it makes sense. I put that rule in place to stop agents from just freely giving their, their commission away. And now they realize they have to talk. We just had one last week where the person was ready to kick in like eight grand. And all we had to do, we worked it a little, and at least we got it down to five. And she brought me in, so it's coming off the top as opposed to off the bottom. So in reality, she was literally about to give eight grand away of her, of own, her money, own money. And now she's giving 2,500 away of her money because yeah. we worked on it. We ultimately got three extra grand out of the seller. That's great. Like That's three grand that she saved. Just because we had some conversations and went back and forth one or two times. It was more like than three because it was went from well, eight for to... For her, yeah. yeah. But all, at the end of the day for the company, it still was a $3,000 savings. That's a lot of money. Again, if you're holding three, that's a lot. But agents, ah, they'll kick it in. Yeah. So that's why we intentionally have the agents come to us. And that way we can help protect them from themselves in reality. Because otherwise they'll just give the money away. Um, so besides giving the money away, how do you work that so that way... How do you have that conversation of so you're not giving away your own money? Yeah, you got to understand the other side's position. So if it's somebody who's buying, somebody who's selling, I want to know their story. I want to use their story against them whenever I can, especially if I know maybe in this market, this is more common. You have contingent sellers in this market. So if I'm buying somebody's home and I know that they were selling contingent on selling that home to buy the next home and I know they already have the next home tied up. They can't afford to lose me, right? If they lose me, they lose the next home. 
I'm in a position of power. So if I, the more I know about the seller situation or the buyer situation, vice versa, it allows me to have position of power and I can use that to my advantage. So this is, this just came to me, but that reminds me or that, that makes me realize when you're writing these love letters from your buyer to the seller, you got to be careful of like, Hey, this was the house we grew up on in. We weren't planning on ever moving except this is the house I want to live in. Now you're screwed. I just had one of these. It's actually a, a buddy of mine who might be listening. Um, but he had told me that he, the, the house next door just sold to a family member and they want to live next door to their family member. Like, I knew that. Like, if I know there's only two houses that are next door to this one and the one on the other side, and that one's not for sale. <laughs> We're the only option. Like, if I know that, I have you, right? Yeah. Like, I, I have the power there. So um, if you, the more you understand about the other side, the better off you are. That's really important. But when it comes to negotiation, your first reaction shouldn't be me as the agent kick in the money. We should first try to get the money from the other side. Can I get it from the seller? Seller won't do it. Maybe the seller and their agent can kick in. No, they won't do it. Okay. Well, maybe all of us kick in. Maybe the four of us, the two agents and the two clients kick in. Like, let's look at all the scenarios before we ever come to me kicking all of it in. Like, that should be the last resort. First, I'm trying to get the money from the seller. If the seller won't do it, I'm trying to get it from their agent. And, and sometimes the agents will tell you how hard up they are for money too. Like, they're stupid. They'll... Like, you guys should be careful of this. Don't tell people this stuff. And even when people ask you, like, if you have a listing and somebody asks why someone's selling, if it's like divorce or something, don't say that. Just say, no, you know, sellers prefer I not share that information. Like, they're moving on. <laughs> yeah, they're just ready for the next chapter. Like, don't tell people your sellers are getting divorced. Like, that's a horrible thing to do. Yeah. Because now I know they just want to get it over with. Or it's like it's an inherited property, which that one they kind of find out through the process, but they don't need to know that up front. Yeah. Like, just be careful not to reveal too much info. So my biggest thing is let's try to figure out how do we get everybody else to kick in on this deal before I end up being the one that kicks in everything. Cool. Um, so the whole title was how to find a transaction from canceling we talked about. I think we covered that really well. I feel good about it. Cool, cool. All right, cool. Uh, if you enjoyed the episode today, if you are watching on YouTube, hit the thumbs up button, let YouTube know you enjoyed it. Also, uh, throw your questions in the comment section. And if you want more of the content, hit the subscribe button and the little notification bell. And if you are listening on a podcast platform, if you could hook us up with a review when you're done today, that would be greatly appreciated. Uh, if you have a question you want to have us answer on a future episode of the show, you can always go to thewhistleway.com, ask us questions on there, subscribe to the podcast and YouTube channel, join our Facebook private group, our referral network, and our email newsletter where we share a lot of tips and tricks and get dialed in with a 50% discount on our video content creation course called the Media Mayor Mastermind, all at thewhistleway.com. Before we wrap today, I want to share something with you that we refer to as the Whistle Widget of the Week. This is something we utilize in our business. It saves us time, makes us more money, or just helps us have more fun. This was a, this got, I got, man, I struggled already. Um, this I was reminded of by my Jeff Cohen. He asked me a question about this. Um, how do you make cool-looking captions on your phone? And obviously, so when you're doing videos. So I use Adobe Premiere. We can tweak that to as much as we want on there, but that wasn't a good solution. Um, there's the caption sticker on TikTok and on Instagram that you can use, which does a good job, but you can't, it's not super um, adjustable. Uh, one of the things, there's an app that I found. I actually saw this on an app 
and on TikTok called captions. And what it'll do is it'll actually um, f- listen to the, the, the video and we'll actually add captions. Okay, that's nothing new. But then it will highlight certain words and you can change the colors of the words. The words are highlighted. And then what it'll also do is it'll add little emojis. So one of them was like, are you looking to sell your house? And it said house and then it showed a little house emoji. I'm like, oh, this actually gets it a little bit more engaging um, pretty quickly. And so the app is captions. And so I, it's pretty cool. Love it. Uh, the one that I'm going to share today is one that if you are the person who has the keychain that has like 60 little tags on it for all the like grocery stores and the gym and all of that stuff, you have all those little tabs with barcodes on it. This app I found at our church when we drop our daughter off for uh, camp, but we'd always forget the stupid little tag. So I found this app where you just scan the tag one time into the app and then now you can just show your phone and it has the barcode on it as opposed to having to um, carry all stupid little things around with you. And it's called Stocard, S-T-O-C-A-R-D. Um, so it already is like pre-built to work with a lot of like those types of cards that you have, those loyalty type cards. Um, but it also take like third party things like a, a church one and store it in there. So Stocard or Stocard, however you say it, I don't know. But it works. Not the second way, I don't think. It's the job done. <laughs> or you yeah. could take a picture of it, I guess. You could, but then you got to go like find the picture and have like 20 of them. This like organizes them okay. alphabetically. It just makes it easy. Cool. Yeah. So what we got for you guys. I hope we got a lot of value out of the show today. Again, I'm a Whistle with EXP Realty in San Diego. I'm Brian Kochi. We'll see you next week. Later. Wait, wait. Before you leave, I want to share some more tips and tricks that we're using in our business to take it to that next level. Just click right here. And don't forget to subscribe, click right here.